I'm excited today we begin a, a brand new series called Time Hop. Timeless truths in a time capsule. We're going to be plowing our way through the book of Malachi, looking at the timeless truths that happened and are spoken many, many, many years ago, yet still apply today. Let me explain time hop. Maybe for some aren't familiar with that. On our smartphones, you can buy apps. And on my smartphone, my iPhone, I have an app called Time Hop. And every day, it collects pictures or posts that I've placed on Twitter or Facebook or, Inst- or Instagram. And it, it builds them into this, I would say, a time capsule. It shows me what happened one year ago, two years ago, three years ago, four years ago. So each day, I go to my phone... And sometimes I open it up and I say, wow, I forgot about that. Wow, look how much Isaiah has grown. We see that. Or, wow, I I don't remember that event in my life. I forgot that I post that. So it's really a a, a treasure. In fact, if you're a smartphone owner, I would encourage you to put that on your phone. It gives you a library of things that happened one, two, three, four years ago on that day. They're truths from the past that are in a time capsule that apply today, and, and you see, look back and you remember that. And so as we plow through this book of Malachi, we're going to see these timeless truths that were spoken thousands of years ago that are tucked away in God's word that are still valuing. Look back and say, wow, that's true, and that's true today. And I, I've forgotten that. And our hope is, as we walk our way through this letter that we'll walk away and, and we will feel loved and treasured and we'll be challenged and compelled to be more like God. Over the last week, I've collected a few of these time hop photos and sayings that I've posted over the last couple of years. And I want to show you a few. Here's a few that have been posted. And this is one that happened one year ago. Um, and it's Ruth. And she stopped by my office and she gave me some bunny ear eyeglasses. So... I put them on in my office, and I, I love Ruth Ann, and uh, she was excited. She had made those for me, and I put those on. And so that, I'd forgotten about that. Here's another one here that, that happened <clears throat> two years ago. It says, God just blew us away. I have never in my 51 years of life witnessed what we did at Grace Community Church. 190 people trusted Jesus as their Lord and Savior speeches, just speeches. And on Twitter, I, I had posted, um, tweeted, 190 people trusted Jesus, our Lord and Savior, at Grace Community Today, a little taste of Pentecost. This was the week before Easter, and I, I collected it. And so I saw that, and I was, praise God. And I just and I began praying for those people, and I, had, I forgot that somehow. And so I began praying, and, and even our elders began praying. Lord, I, I pray that you do more than what you did two years ago. And by God's grace, we saw almost 300 people trust in Jesus Christ this Easter at Grace Community. That's exciting. But it gave me a chance to remember another uh, time hop photo that came through. It was uh, three years ago. Uh, it said, they're working hard to trademark it on, on a blog that, that I right on often. I had written Expand the Borders, and three years ago, during that time, there were a group of men who had been through the first chapter of Fight Club here at Grace Community Church, and men had gathered for six months at 4 a.m. in the morning, and it was men that had already been through Fight Club, and we began to process and put together a kit, and that was three years ago. We, We put this kit together, developed, and and tackled by men who had been through a chapter and used their skills, gifts, and abilities. And now it's almost in 150 churches in America. That's exciting. But I've forgotten. That was 
three years ago. Another uh, photo that came up, uh, this, that was four years ago. It's Isaiah's 12th birthday. Take a look at Isaiah. Uh, and that's, that's Joel Krupp, one of his buddies, and uh, Justin Slayball, who are all, they're around 12 years old. Isaiah turns 16 tomorrow, and tomorrow's his birthday. And I look at that and say, wow, he's really grown a lot in four years. He really has. And, but that's a timeless truth from the past that it's good to go back and you say, wow, praise God. And I think of what God has done in the four years of his life since then. Here's one I collected a while back that I, I keep on my phone. It's a, it's a precious truth of my mom and my stepfather dancing together. Take a look at this. That was... That's one I'll probably keep until I pass. Uh, it's a precious, timeless truth from the past of my mom and my stepfather dancing Um, But God has given us this timeless truth in Malachi, these timeless words that he wrote to his people. And today we get to open up that time capsule and say, wow, I've forgotten that. Or, Or wow, I need to be reminded of that. Or wow, God loves me more than I realize. I believe that's what we're going to find today. So open your Bibles up and turn to the book of Malachi. If you need a Bible, hold your hand up. Our ushers will be glad to put one in your hand. Turn to the book of Malachi. It's the last book of the Old Testament. So if you go to the middle of your Bible, just open it up. And if you, if you found Matthew, you went too far. Go to Matthew and turn left. And find the book of Malachi. It's the last book in the Old Testament. And we're going to look at this, these timeless truths from the past and see how they apply to us today. When you find that, stand. We're going to read it together. We're going to read Malachi chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. Malachi 1, verses 1 to 5. Let's read this out loud together. Ready? Read. A prophecy, the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord. But you ask, how have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have turned his hill country into a wasteland and left his inheritance to the desert jackals. Edom may say, though we have been crushed, we will rebuild the ruins. But this is what the Lord Almighty says. They may build, but I will demolish. They will be called the wicked land, a people always under the wrath of the Lord. You will see it with your own eyes and say, Great is the Lord even beyond the borders of Israel. You may have a seat. Even as we open up this letter, right away something sticks out to me. God still speaks to us from his word. He still speaks to us from his word. People will often ask me this, and it's a good question, by the way, and please keep asking it. People ask me often, recently I had someone just, a, a man ask me this question. He, he said this, he said, Pastor Jim, I want to hear from God. How can I hear from God? How do I know that this is God speaking to me? He said, I hear people say, God told me, or, or God, God showed me. I want to be able to be at a point in my life that when God speaks, I can hear it clearly. So very clearly that I act on it and I do it. How do I know that it's from God? I want to hear from God. 
And, or, or maybe they'll say, I wish God would speak to me clearly. Well, I have some really good news, and I did for this person, and when someone comes to me, I often say, he is speaking. He speaks loudly and clearly. He speaks all the time, and it's from his word. There it is. I mean, look at this. Malachi 1, verse 1. A prophecy, an oracle, the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. So God is coming to us today, and one of the ways he speaks to us, if you want to hear from God, go read his word. It's his love letter that came to us, written by men of God, inspired by the Holy Spirit, without error, and it's timeless truths to us today. This is God's word to us today. He is speaking, and today he's going to be speaking to us clearly from the book of Malachi. So God the Father comes to Malachi and said, I want you to tell my children this. And so in the Old Testament, that's how God would speak. He would go to a prophet, he would speak to him, and he'd say, go, now tell my people. Speak to a prophet, now go and tell my people. Now, what we have is this. The prophets have spoken through God. They wrote it down. We read it, and now we get to hear from the Lord also. God's words is one of the ways that he speaks clearly to us today. So, here's this letter. We begin with this letter. It's a letter from a father spoken through a, to a prophet, written down to his children not only to the original audience of the Israelites, but to us today. So really, as we're looking at this, this is a letter that a father would write to his kids. And if you were to write a letter to your children, what might you say to your kids? This is what this book is. It's written thousands of years ago. However, as you and I read this, we often understand or view or even try to interpret, sometimes correctly, sometimes incorrectly, through the lenses of our relationship with our earthly father. And so because of our past, because of the relationship, we had a good relationship with our dad, maybe a dysfunctional, maybe dad left you, maybe you don't know your father, maybe it wasn't a good situation, maybe it was a good situation. And the challenge sometimes for us, we often view God, the father, in the same way that we viewed our earthly father today. So I would encourage you, don't start with your view of your earthly father and see this letter as coming from him, but see this letter coming from a perfect father in every way. And he's saying, this is what you should do. This is how you should live. This is how I'm going to challenge you. This is how much I love you. I love you more than you realize. It's interesting, too, as I look at this, as I see right away at the beginning, he says, I have loved you. I have written letters to my children, and one of the things I encourage other men to do is to write hand letters to their children. And one of the reasons I write them letters is I want, hopefully, one day they'll pick it up, and after I pass on, they'll remember something that I've written to them, or they'll keep it as a, as a timeless truth. I just recently wrote a letter to my mother and my stepfather and father. And I sent it to their home and I hand wrote it out. And there's something valuable about a handwritten letter. I wanted them to know. And I told him in the letter, I love you. 
I thank God for you. I thank you for pouring into my life and giving so much to me. And this is the kind of letter this is. It's, it's a, a loving father writing to his kids. And the first thing he says, I loved you. I love you very much. However, because of our earthly father relationships, it affects the way we read scripture. The role of a father is so very powerful in a child's life that it can shape your view of God, especially a daughter. In fact, a daughter's first and primary view of God as she ages is the way she's observed her relationship with her earthly father. In fact, if a daughter has a dad that was an earthly father that was distant, absent, controlling, missing, non-committed, it'll lead her to wanting nothing initially to do with God. In fact, what will happen is she will try to replace that void of this missing dad in her life with another man. And what often happens is it, it plays out in a dysfunctional way. She will go to the first man that shows her attention because she's longing for a relationship with a man. And what will often happen is she'll find someone who says, hey, I like you, you look good. And she will basically do whatever that man wants. Fathers, that's why I want drive this home. We have incredible influence that God has given us. It is important, so very important, in loving our daughters in a way that doesn't cause them to want to go find a man to do that for her. Often what will happen to this type of daughter, she will often have a child out of wedlock. She will often get active sexually way, way, way before she's married. And she will take any available man that smiles at her. The opposite is true also, though, of a daughter that has a dad that is committed and loves her and is loyal and cares and protects for her. When she has a loving, committed dad who's in the picture and providing, then her view of God is a loving, committed, loyal God, father. She'll see him in such a way that she begins to trust him even at an early age. You will often see daughters that come from those households. They trust in God at an early age because the model that's been in front of them has been very similar to, to, to what God wants this relationship with us. So they naturally would trust God the Father because it has been demonstrated. Let me also say this. If you have an absent dad, By the grace of God, he can overcome that through you. And you can have an incredible relationship with a loving father. But it does shape how you read scripture initially. The same is true for a, a son. A son who's had an absent father. A controlling dad. A dad that you can never please. This dad will impact this son dysfunctionally also. He's often angry, uncommitted in relationships, children out of wedlock, and often has a propensity for same-sex relationships. Why? Because the dad wasn't in the picture. That will shape his view of a heavenly father too. The opposite is true for a son that's had a father that poured masculinity, love, leadership, protection. His view of God is 
God is loyal. God is a protector. God is a provider. And he'll often trust in Jesus Christ at an early age because he has seen this modeled out. So as we read this, look again in verse 1. It says, a prophecy, an oracle, or a letter. The word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. I have loved you, said the Lord. And so this letter, which was written at the end of the Old Testament, is loaded with things that any father would want to say to his kids. It talks about marriage. It'll talk about money. It'll talk about sin. It'll talk about love. It'll talk about leaving a godly legacy. So Malachi goes to God's kids and says, this is what your heavenly father wants you to know. And it is a timeless truth that I get to share with you today. Also keep in mind, this is very important. This letter would be his last letter for 400 years. Let me just give you something that's pretty powerful. As you open up the Old Testament, you'll go Genesis to Malachi, and then you'll see Matthew through Revelation. And this letter that's in the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, after it was written, after it was, after it was spoken and read, God would not write another letter or speak through the prophets for 400 years. Wrap your mind around that a second. So it's as if this is the last spoken word from God, and it would be 400 more years until God speaks or spoke again. Theologians call it the silent years, 400 years. So you talk about a truth in a time capsule as these Israelites continue to walk out and as these God followers, and we know as Christ followers, begin to hear from the Lord. They wouldn't hear again from the Lord until a man by the name of John the Baptist came on the scene. Now, wrap your mind around. And when he came on the scene, he was dressed in goat skins and ate locusts for lunch. Now, are you going to listen to him? You would think that it would be this dignitary. But the book of Matthew, when Jesus was on the scene, John the Baptist said, there's going this Messiah that's coming. So picture, if you can, this letter. For 400 years, they would say, what did God speak? What did he say? Like, what were the last words that he said? And so I got to believe that they got familiar with Malachi. I got to believe that they said, there's the last time a prophet spoke. What did he say? Imagine if you fathers today, you knew that this would be your last letter to your kids. What if you knew today that you could go home and this would be the last letter that you would write to your children? And you knew because God had shown you somehow that you would pass away after writing this letter. What would you write to your children? This is what this is like. I was thinking about that this week. What might be a few things that I would share with Josh, Hannah, and Isaiah? What might be a few things from my father's heart that I would share with my children? My 23-year-old, my 21-year-old daughter, and my soon-to-be 16-year-old son. What might I tell them? That's what God, the Father, is about to do for these precious Israelites that he loved, his people. So I wrote a few things that I, it would be a long letter, and I would just tell them, love Jesus, 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 love Jesus. But I would also say, always trust in Jesus. No matter what anyone else tells you, trust in Jesus. 
I would tell them, don't beat yourself up with your sin. Don't let condemnation beat you up. I would tell them to love their mom because she's worthy of their love. I would tell them to leave a rich legacy with the brown name. I would tell them to enjoy this life. Don't be too serious. I would tell them, laugh a lot. I would tell them to take risk for Jesus until they breathe their last breath and gum people to Jesus with you don't have any teeth. I would tell them to swallow their pride. I would tell them they don't have to please man. They only need to please God. I would tell them to be brave. Dads, what would you tell your kids? That's what this letter is. It's like God is talking to his children and he's telling them about money and divorce and marriage and love and sin and legacy. And he opens up this letter, beautiful letter, and says, I love you. Most of us, we end our letters with love. Like when I write a letter, I often say to my kids, love dad. (laughs) But God opens up this letter right at the start. I love you. So we have this picture, this heavenly father writing to his children this precious, precious love letter. How many of you would love to hear from your father? How many of you have not heard from your father? Here's the very good news for you today. Even those of you that are fatherless or don't have a father, you now have one in Jesus Christ and God the Father. And if you know him as your Lord and Savior, you have a perfect father. Even those of you who have a good father have an absolutely perfect father now. That is a treasure. That's a timeless truth that Malachi is bringing to light. There is a father out there that loves you so very much. Even if your dad, your earthly father did, he loves you. He's proud of you. He gave his son on the cross for you. He will work everything out in your life for good. And while you were sleeping last night, he saw your day. And everything that you will ever face today has already worked went through the heavenly father's hand and he's going to work it out for good. You are incredibly loved by a perfect heavenly father. Any amens for that? And that's what Malachi is saying today. Here's the really good news. He says, you do not have to even earn his love. Look again at verse two. Malachi says this word from the Lord, I have loved you, said the Lord. It doesn't say, if you obey me, I will love you. It just says, I have loved you. And he will never love you more or love you less. His love never changes, nor is it conditional. It's not based upon how good you are or how how obedient you've been. His love never changes. Even when you commit your deepest, darkest sin, God will never love you more or love you less. His love is the same. It's not based on action or good works. It's not conditional, and it never changes. Now, that truth should just well you up with joy because you have a heavenly Father that just loves you just like you are. 
And by the way, too, sometimes we have this view of God, this, this view of God that because you've sinned that God's going to punish me. When I hear people talk about God's, God's going to punish me, listen, God isn't going to punish you. He'll, he'll discipline you, but he's not going to punish you. Jesus took your punishment to the cross and already died for it. We don't have a God that's a whack-a-mole God, like bam, 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 bam. The punishment has already been paid at Calvary. Now, he will discipline you. And sometimes even by his grace, the discipline is soft. But a father disciplines or instructs his kids in order to shape them and help them become who they should be. You want another timeless truth? God chose you and loved you first. Look what it says. I have loved you. There's this sense that he chose you. And the truth is, his love for us does compel us to love him and obey him because we have never witnessed anything like this before in our lives. A timeless truth is he adopted us to become his children. And before the foundation of the world, it was not based on our action. God chose us. God picked us out. God adopted us. God elected us. Before we ever breathed a breath, God said, I want you, I love you, and I will always love you for eternity. That is a powerful truth that Malachi is bringing, and you'll see it in the New Testament again. God did not pick you because you are awesome. God picked you because he is awesome. Now think about that truth. There wasn't good in us. And he, wow, you got great ability. I like the way you look. You, 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 you got style. You, you, you have great lineage from a family. You, you have a nice house. You have income. You have, you're eloquent when you speak. God never picks us because we're awesome. God picked you because he is awesome. But then, look what it says here. Verse 2. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you ask. And what do we ask? Help me read this. How have you loved us? We say it like this today. God, if you really love me, then this wouldn't happen to me. God, if you really loved me, then my dad would have never left me. God, if you really loved me, then I wouldn't have these cancer cells in my body. God, if you really loved me, then my husband would never left me. God, if you really loved me, then I still wouldn't be single and lonely. God, if you really loved me, then why did my mom die? God, if you really love me, then why does my son have to deal with that in school? And so God says, I have loved you. But then it's Malachi's roads, writes through the word of the Lord. We ask, how have you loved us? Let me just be very, very, very frank about this. Because this is critical that we get this down as Christ followers. When we question God's love for us, we are accusing him of saying something and doing another. We are saying God is failing and falling short and he never fails and never falls short. So when you say that, God, why did you allow this to happen to me? God, why did you do that? God, 
If you love me, then you would do this. Listen, be very, very, very careful. God never fails you. God never falls short. We should never accuse a perfect father who sent his son on the cross to die for us. God allows those things in your life to happen so that it sharpens you and makes you into the person he wants you to be. And he promises to work those hardships out for good for you. By the way, what right do we have to ask the God of the universe any questions about his care for us? Seriously, think about that. Perfect father. Perfect decision maker. Perfect creator. Perfect love. Perfect plan. Perfect, 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 perfect. What right do we have to ask a perfect father about his care for us? Zero. And so Malachi is saying through the letter from the Lord to him, you ask, how, how have you loved us? And so look, look, look at the response here. The response is this. Was not Esau, Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. And I have turned his hill country into a wasteland and left his inheritance to the desert jackals. Edom may say, or Esau, ites, though we have been crushed, we will rebuild the ruins. But this is what the Lord Almighty says. They may build, but I will demolish. They will be called the wicked land, a people always under the wrath of God. Esau's land will be a wasteland. And so God is saying, there is this group of people called Jacobites, the Israelites. I love them. And their descendants I have chosen and I love. There are these descendants of the Esauites, as we would know, Edomites. I hated them and didn't choose them. And so we say to her today, wow, why, why would God hate one and love the other? And how did he choose Jacob? Like, what's the difference? And God is about to show us something that he doesn't choose us based upon our good works. He doesn't choose us based upon our abilities. He chooses us because he loves us. Think through that with me a second. Turn to Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4 and keep your hands here. We're going to talk about a really timeless truth that Malachi brings to light. I have loved you. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Look at Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4, we'll begin with verse 3. Paul wrote this many years later. He says, praise be to the God and Father who wrote this letter to Malachi of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, Christ followers today, in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Verse 4, for he what? What's the word? Chose who? Us in him before the what? Creation of the what? World to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us, or he fixed the ending. That's a good definition of predestined. Us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. 
Now, I want to help you understand how powerful that is and how beautiful that is and how that should put an extra bounce in your step. Before you and I breathed a breath, before the world was spoken to existence, before Genesis 1-1, when God spoke, there was an earth. When God spoke, there were animals. When God spoke, there was water. Before he even created the world as we know it, because God has always been and always will be. He doesn't have a starting point and he doesn't have an ending point. But before in this timeline of, of, of infinity, somewhere in this timeline, God created an earth. But before that, it says he chose us. He adopted us. He selected us. He elected us. He made us his children before we even breathe a breath. Now, wrap your mind around that. Here's why this is important. In my mind, here's what that shows. We are not God's children based upon anything good that we'll ever accomplish. He saw us before we even did anything, and he knew how we would live our life. But he chose us. He loved us first. And because he loved us first, we can love others. It's a powerful truth. John really tried to, to, to expand this, this, this rich truth. In John 15, 16, he says, you have not chosen me, I have chosen you. Jesus' words, you have not chosen me, I have chosen you. I have set you apart for the work of bringing in fruit. Your fruit should last, and whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Powerful truth that God chose us first. The reality is this. The reason that God chose us is because he wasn't lost, we're lost. And so when I, I have a little pet peeve, when I see a, a sign, it's okay if you do that, I'll, I'll get over it. But when I see the, these signs that say, I found Jesus. You didn't find Jesus, he's never been lost. <laughs> Jesus found you. He chose us before the foundation of the world. And somewhere along this timeline, there becomes a recognition where the salvation plan gets thrown out in front of us. And there it is. And we realize that God is who he said he was. And we receive this gift by faith. But listen to me. God acted first before the creation of the world. It's a powerful truth for us today. So he says, some I've loved, some I've hated. I've loved Jacob, but Esau, I hate it. Let me back up into the Old Testament a little bit farther. Let's go back to Genesis. A long time ago, there was a man by the name of Abraham. And the Bible says that from Abraham's descendants would become many, 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 many nations that follow, 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 follow after God. Abraham, by the way, wasn't a good person, (laughs) His father worshipped idols. His father worshipped idols. Abraham initially was an idol worshiper. He didn't follow God. Yet God picked him. God chose him to bless him and all his descendants, not based on good works. The reason that's so significant, it once again shows that we can't earn our salvation. It's only by God's love. He wants us to know they didn't get chosen because they're good. They got chosen because I chose them first and loved them. So then you fast forward a little farther and he comes up to these two people, Jacob and Esau. Why are they so important? 
Because if you track the lineage of Jacob and you track the lineage of Esau, and if you and I were here today and we track the lineage, you and I go back to Jacob as Christ followers. And those that aren't Christ followers go back to Esau. And the reason we're in this lineage, the reason we're in these descendants is because God acted way, 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 way back before Jacob and chose us. And somewhere along this path, we trusted by faith that Jesus was who he said he was. And he's saying, some I've chosen, some I've loved, some I haven't. Why is that important today? Here's why it's important. God loves you. And if you don't get anything else in this life other than Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, listen, that's enough. That's enough. It's more than enough. Well, let's, let, let, let's find out a little bit about these guys. Let's turn, turn back to Genesis chapter 25. It's a powerful truth, Genesis chapter 25. It's so important that God's last letter to his people, he wanted to tell them, to his children, I want to tell you about Jacob and Esau. Well, let's find out about Jacob and Esau. Who are these people that God wanted to find out about? And why did he choose Jacob? And why did he choose Esau? And why are we part of, as Jacob's descendants, those that are Godfather? Look at Genesis chapter 25, verse 24. It says this. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twins. Rebekah, she gave birth. Isaac was the, the father. Verse 25. The first to come out was what? Red, John Rauch. And his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him what? Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So he was named what? Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. The boys grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter a man of open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home amongst the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved who? Esau. But Rebekah, the mom, loved who? Jacob. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country. He was famished. He said to his brother Jacob, Quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. This is why he was also called Edom. Verse 31, Jacob replied, sell me your birthright. His brother said, look, I'm about to die. I haven't eaten in three hours. What good is the birthright to me? I'm hungry. Give me a number seven from McDonald's. Verse 33, but Jacob said, swear to me first if I buy you this lunch that you'll give me your birthright. And you know what he did? He sold him his birthright. Seriously, think about this. Jacob who was a mama's boy, and some would say wore skinny jeans and scarves and had a thousand posts on Pinterest. That's who, that's who Jacob was. And Esau was a skillful hunter. He was a man's man. And you would see him on hunting channels. And he was rugged. And yet God chooses Jacob. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Why Jacob? He just, he just wormed his brother into getting his birthright. And by the way, that's a big deal. Watch what else happens here. Turn over to chapter, Genesis chapter 27. Like, why would he choose Jacob? There's got to be some good in him, right? Look at verse 27, or chapter 27. 
says this, chapter 27, verse 1. When Isaac was old and his eyes were so weak he could no longer see, he called for Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, here I am, he answered. Isaac said, I am now old and don't know the day of my death. Now then, get your equipment, your quiver and bow, and go out in the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare me the kind of tasty food I like, pheasant and deer and bear, and bring it to me to eat, so that I may give you my what? Blessing before I die. Now, Rebecca, mama, what was she doing? What's it say? Listening. Don't moms listen to those conversations? As Isaac spoke to his son Esau, who he loved, when Esau left for the open country to hunt game and bring it, Rebecca, mama, said to her son Jacob, Pinterest boy, Look, I overheard your father say to your brother Esau, Bring me some game and prepare me some tasty food to eat, so that I may give you my blessing in the presence of the Lord. Now, my son, listen carefully and do what I tell you. Go out to the flock, bring me two choice goats, so I can prepare some tasty food for your father, just the way he likes it. Then take it to your father to eat so that he may give you his blessing before he dies. Jacob said to Rebekah's mother, but my brother is a hairy man, while I have dove skin. Verse 12, what if my father touches me? I would appear to be tricking him and would bring down a curse on myself rather than a blessing. His mother said to him, my son, let the curse follow me. Just do what I say and get them for me. So he went, got them, and brought them to his mother, and she prepared some tasty food just like the father liked it. Then Rebekah took the best clothes of who? Esau, her older son. Oh, and this isn't going to be good, is it? Which she had in the house and put them on her younger son, Jacob. She also covered his hands, his dove skin, the smooth part of his neck with what? Goat skins, because Esau was hairy. Then she handed to her son, Jacob, the tasty food, And the bread she made, and he went to his father and said, and you know what happened? Dad, who couldn't see well, thought when Esau walked in, when Jacob walked in, thought, huh, he smells like Esau. He feels like Esau. In fact, he said he doesn't sound like Esau, but maybe I'm not hearing well. And you know what he did? He gave the blessing to Jacob. Why is that important? Here's why this is all important. Who did God choose? He chose the liar. He chose the deceiver. He chose the one that we wouldn't think he would choose. And why is that important? Because our salvation is not dependent upon our good works. It's based upon faith in Christ and God choosing from the foundation of the world who will be his kids. And so... Malachi opens up and says, have I not loved you, Israelites? You're my chosen people. Isn't that enough? You see, God does not pick us based on our abilities. As a kid, we would play sandlot baseball a lot. And we don't do that much anymore. But we would go and someone would take a bat. Remember those days you throw the bat and you find a captain. And so you grab the bat and you take your hands like this. Remember? And you try to get to the top of the bat. Some of you, I just went way over your heads. Generation from like 30 and below. Just for my Sandy, how many of you understand what I just talked about? Thank you. Look at that. Thank you. Talk to your dads later about that. But in any case, and so then you would be captains, and you, know, you would pick your team. And how would you pick your team? You would say, wow, 
He's a good infielder. Wow, he can hit the ball. Wow, he's a good shortstop. Wow, he'll, he'll drive and run. And so eventually you would pick all the kids. And you know the kid that was left that didn't have, by the way, you don't have to have athletic ability to be a dangerous person in the kingdom for Jesus Christ. And so the kid that was left was a non-athletic kid. Like, he wasn't chosen. But God is saying, I don't choose you based upon how good you are in your abilities. I chose you because I love you. And some I chose, some I didn't. And in this case, I chose Jacob. And we are the descendants in the same salvation line as that. We should say, thank you. Like, that alone should just put a bounce in our step today. God is the Father and you have been adopted by him. We didn't choose our father. He chose us. You see, some might say, well, Pastor Jim, that's still, what's so good about that? Here's what's good about it. Even if this is all you hang on to, when you breathe your last breath, your next breath will be in the presence of a perfect father in heaven, and you will not go to hell. If that isn't enough, then you're in trouble. That's an incredible gift. So as I read this and look at verse 5, look how as he closes up this first part of this letter. He says in verse 5, you will see it with your own eyes and say, great is the Lord, even beyond the borders of Israel. And he's reminded them, you have a relationship with me. It's life-changing. It's powerful. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will always walk by your side. And when you pass this earth, I'll meet you on the other side, and we'll spend eternity in heaven forever. If that is enough, then you need a heart check. That's what this father is saying to his kids. And by the way, he's saying that to us today, too. But Lord, you didn't love me. You're allowing this to happen. Even this, listen to me. I understand pain. I understand hardship. And I'm not trying to gloss over it. But the reality is this. Even if you die a painful death, the alternative could be hell. But the, but the truth is, it's heaven. And that is a tremendous hope that we can live with that gets us up every morning knowing that God will never leave us, God will never forsake us, and God will be with us forever and ever and ever and ever. Any amens for that? Everything we have in this life is from God. So as I wrap up this intro to this letter, the first paragraph that a father would write to his kids, I want to keep a couple other things in perspective. Please, our father grieves over the way we talk to him and about him. It grieves him when we say, but God, if you love me, then you wouldn't do allow this. But God, if you love me, if my kids constantly came to me and said, Dad, if you really love me, you, wouldn't, you would do this. Dad, if you really love me, then you would do that. And if they neglected what I've already done for them, it would grieve my heart. Listen to me, our Father, our Heavenly Father, emotes, he feels. And how do I know that? Because we carry the same DNA and, and, and characteristics of our Father. We have a God who weeps, we have a God who laughs, we have a God who cares, we have a God that feels what we say to him. I would also say this, we must realize he has his best interests in mind for us. You see, you cling to that. When you cling to that truth, no matter what you're walking through, and there are times, I've been there too, and you have too, when it just doesn't make sense. 
when it feels like you are being persecuted and, and you are in a trial, and Paul said, even to the point of death where you are overwhelmed. But listen to me. God promises to work it out for good to those that love him. You got to cling to that truth. I would also say this. God does not owe you anything, nor has he ever let you down. You see, it begins with your view of yourself. You see, we need to see ourselves as very bad. And when we do that, we can see God as very good. When we see ourselves as very good, we see God as very bad. We often forget what God has done for us and we lose perspective. He rescued us from hell. Come on, come on. That's awesome. When you become ungrateful for what you do have, Take a moment and consider the alternative. What's the alternative? Hell, hopelessness, loneliness. You don't have that unfair advantage. You don't have any spirit that's compelling you and comforting you. You don't have that shepherd's care. You don't have that peace in the midst of the turmoil. You, you, you have hopelessness and you're chasing down all these things, trying to fill a void that is only can be filled by God. And once God fills that void, you can walk to the gates of hell and tribulation and know if my God is for me, who can stand against me? And when you don't have Christ, you can't do that. It's a powerful truth. Another truth, earth is as close to hell as you'll ever get as a Christian. And believe me, this is nothing like hell. But for those who don't know Christ, they will experience hell. God is not finished with us yet, but the day of celebration is coming. He promises that there will be a love feast in heaven. He promises that all the saints, all the languages, all the tribes will gather one day. It's a promise. Bank on it. We're going to spend eternity in heaven, and we're going to rejoice, and we're going to worship our God. No pain, no suffering, no sin, no condemnation, no guilt, no shame. Does that sound good? (laughs) Cling to those truths. Our God is greater than we feel, and we are worse than we fear. Listen, we're not good on our own. The only way any good comes out of us is because the righteousness of Christ on us. God will never leave you fatherless. For those of you who haven't had an earthly father, let me tell you something. This heavenly father, he'll never leave you. He listens to every cry that you have. He's marking and charting. Jeremiah 29 says he has a perfect plan and he's charting out your life and he's been doing that since the foundation of the world. Listen, that is great news. And God longs for you to live obedient life and rewards you for doing so and disciplines you when you don't. And lastly, I would say this truth. God forgives and chooses to not remember your sins. Ever. Imagine if he did. In my mind, I picture it this way. Picture God as a judge. You're walking into a courtroom. You have your attorney with you. He's got your rap sheet. And from Us, just think about it. Imagine your rap sheet for life. All the sins you've ever committed. You are, and I am a habitual offender. (laughs) Habitually, we offend it. We've sinned. And so now we're going before the judge. And you're thinking, oh man, third strike. Holy cow, I got 50 million strikes against me. I'm going to be set away for life. And so you walk into this courtroom because you've committed this other sin. You're thinking, 
Oh, he's going to say repeat offender, repeat offender, repeat offender, three strikes, just send them down the road. So your lawyer stands up. He says, sir, I have Jim Brown here. Well, can you tell me his rap sheet? Yeah, do you have time? (laughs) But then God the Father says, sir, there must be a mistake. That's not the Jim Brown I have here. In fact, he's never offended me before. (laughs) There's nothing here. There's no record. It's gone. In fact, the thing that he's done now, it's the first time he's ever done it. (laughs) You see the difference? We see ourselves with this rap sheet coming before God. Oh, Lord, forgive me. (laughs) Here I am again with this. I was looking at pornography last night. Here I'm again with gossiping. Here I'm again with stealing. Here I'm again with this anger. Here I'm again with this gluttony. Here I'm again. Here I'm again. And we've asked God for forgiveness of that, and we confess and repent it. And you know what he did? He took our rap sheet away. And so when we go before God with this same sin again, you know what it is? It's as if it's the very first time we've ever committed it in his presence. Now, that is love. As we were closing out this on Friday afternoon, I was thinking, you know, God loves us more than we realize. I said to our guys, what's a timeless song that really captures that? Like, we need to go way back. We need to go way back, way back, way back, and pull out a timeless truth, a song that would appear on Time Hop and say, wow, I've forgotten. But that's so true. And so today I'm asking our worship teams to come, and I'm going to close in prayer. But a very simple song that means a lot to me, Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Lord, I pray as we sing today, I pray as we leave this place today, that we would be captured by your love in a fresh way. I pray, Lord, that we would see ourselves the way you see us. And I pray that this love that we have from you would compel us to tell others. Please, God, thank you. Thank you very much for loving us and choosing us from the foundation of the world. In Jesus' name, amen.